folks welcome back to climb to your prime with dr Heim. this is that monthly uh, you know real moment that we wait for month to month and uh you know it's you know it this is uh time for mental health with the one and the only dr christian Heim. Uh, this time not from the land down under as we know it close enough tasmania <laughs> yeah, ta tasmania is down under in the land down under so it's about as southern <laughs> as you can get in the world and it's further south <laughs> sorry it's further south yeah 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 a, a, a lot further south but hey lovely place absolutely lovely place well we do, we do miss that nice harbor behind you and the bridge but you know hey uh i guess Everything's got its its charm, you know. And so this Everything's is good. Everything's got its charm. Here we've got the chickens and the roosters and the and the goats and the sheep, things like that. Hurricane. Hey, listen. There's nothing that is as beautiful as nature in general, right? And and when you're in the the, the outdoors and the farmland, it's just peaceful. It's beautiful, it's serene. I mean, uh, it, it's really good. I mean, if we go back in time, I think people lived healthier and happier, less mental problems because they lived a, a you know, more, I guess, simplified life. I, I mean, am I wrong, Doc? Oh, no, no, Hurricane, you're totally right. In fact, one of the most amazing things about our world is that nature is beautiful no matter where you go. Um, every country, every sea, you just see beautiful nature and it has this calming effect on us uh, because we do get back to something very, I won't say primitive, but something very fundamental in who we are. We are part of nature and we feel at home in ourselves when we're away from our technology, out in nature, be it summer, fall or winter or springtime as it is here at the moment. There are mountains, there are beaches, there are landscapes that you can be a part of and you can lose all that stress that you build up. And studies actually show that each of us need at least two to four hours each week in a green environment for our own mental health. We've actually done studies on that, how much nature we need. And so people <laughs> who live in big cities have got to find some time, and we call it green time. Well, you know, we do have Central Park in New York. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, no, I, love it, it, I love Central Park. We have Central okay? Park. We have, you know, the, the what is it? The, uh, Prospect Park in Brooklyn. I mean, we have a few parks out there, but that's in New York. I mean, we have the whole Jersey Garden state. I mean, you know, it's 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 a big, well, it's not the biggest state. It's decent sized, you know, state, but it's mainly green. I mean, uh, there's a lot of greenage out, out in Jersey, for example, and there's a lot of states out there, you know, that have that and parts of the world. I mean, beautiful landscape and nature. But the problem with doctor is, do we go there? Do we spend the time and find the time to actually go to that? You know, okay. space? I think that's the challenge. Exactly right. That's exactly right. And let, let's take New York City because New York City is an amazing city. But somebody had the forethought to make sure that Central Park was a huge area that was dedicated uh, for people of uh, New York just to go to. And guess what you get there? Ducks, birds, trees, grass, nature. There's even some cats and rabbits there. And why is it there? It's so that we can get away from the stress exercise a little bit, relax a little bit. But as you said, Hurricane, it comes down to choice. They're the choices that we need to make. And one of the fundamental messages that I want to give people is that your choices is important and your choices are something to be valued and to be used so that you're driving your life, not in a way that goes just for success, but goes for a way for peace, joy and good mental health. Well, doctor, thank you. And, and, and you know, I, I think we all have excuses and, you know, certainly life happens and there's so much stuff going on. We're going at full yeah. speed. I mean, you, you we picked New York as an example. It's not yeah. really the best example in a way because it's probably faster. I mean, that's where Hurricane came from, literally, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, because that's the where Hurricane went. <laughs> well, you know, that's the whole thing. Like, you know, it's just we run, run, run. It's it's, yeah, it's yeah. too much stuff going on. It's it's one of the busiest cities. And I mean, obviously, there's other ones that are just similar. But but people are caught up into it. And frankly, sometimes they just, you know, don't have the time to to spend for themselves and and really just wander a little bit and then just ponder in nature and just relax. I mean, I do see that. I mean, if I go to cities, some parks, especially in the summertime or at least yeah, even yeah. when it's nicer, people out there picnicking, doing stuff, you know, relaxing, whatever, sometimes even during breaks. But it's not as you know, I mean, you said two days of nature. I mean, that's quite a bit of time. I mean, we're going a fraction of that, which means our impact on health or mental health will be probably 
worse and you know as it is today i mean it is today bad and we could do better okay so um just so that people know it's actually two hours a week that, oh, two um, hours a week so my yeah, mistake. That's, that's all right. <laughs> two, two days is a bit difficult but i i want to actually um uh, emphasize and explain in the brain what happens and why that is because at the moment uh, what we do is we get caught up in our world and in our lives and in our um, work and then we go on holidays and we de-stress and then we say oh we feel good then we go back to work and we stress up again so it comes down to one word and the one word that I will use is identification so it means that whatever we have in front of us we can get caught up in now, the opposite of identifying with something, so becoming something that is right in front of you, is mindfulness. And all of psychiatry, all of psychology, talks a lot about mindfulness uh, uh, at the moment. And we've talked about mindfulness before. Mindfulness is being present in the present moment in your mind so that you notice not only what's going on in your mind, but you notice the world around you. And this is the effect that nature has just two hours a week in something like uh, a, a forest, a park, a beach, or at the mountains, uh, actually stops you thinking about what goes through your head and your work or your worries every day. And we've all got worries. I have worries. You have worries. We all do. Mm -hmm. But when you're in nature, because you are part of something that is larger than you, your brain, which is something uh, that is inside your head, but it tells your mind, which is something much bigger than just your head, that you are part of something bigger. And nature is that thing that we are all part of that's bigger. So how does this work in the brain? It actually means that the chemicals that we have flowing through our brains are more to do with serotonin, which gives us that feeling of calm, which is more to do with beta endorphins, where you feel together and at one with the world, we can actually measure that feeling of being at one. And, um, and also dopamine, which mediates all of our pleasure with life. Uh, and it gives us our sense of reality as well. That's the other thing that dopamine does. It gives us uh, that sense that we are part of something that's very real rather than all the worry that's going on inside our minds. So to sum up, mindfulness means getting out of your head and getting out of all that stress that builds up in your brain to realize that you are part of something bigger, that the life that you lead is something bigger, and that dissipates all those stress chemicals and lets flowing all the calm chemicals like oxytocin, dopamine, serotonin, and beta endorphins. Woo. Well, thank you. That, by the way, that explains right. that, that explains why when we're in nature, we're happier people. We're much cooler, much relaxed, and just you know, much better human beings, I guess, to be around as opposed to when you're just like into that industrial level of life, which is not really happening. So, I mean, I, I always get amazed when you explain it to the, the, the chemical and the brain, you know, function and how it all operates. By the way, today I thought about your doctor. I was driving and I saw a, a store, it's serotonin. You know, I, I, I think they have, I don't know what they do there, but it, it's weird. I got to find out more about that place. But I did think about you. <laughs> well, there's a store called Serotonin. serotonin. I, I'm not sure if it's, it's maybe they, they do some treatment there, whatever. I mean, yeah. I, I just saw the sign, like, huh? It kind of sounded weird, but, you know, I, I was like, hey, man, that's something. <laughs> you never know. Um, well, thank you, doctor. So, so, so um, again, it, it's, you know, we started the show. We, we immediately got into the nature stuff. By the way, New York City today was, was really in a, in, in a bad shape because we had a lot of rain and there's flooding all over. So today, yeah. today is definitely not maybe a good time to be in nature, but really it was just very gloomy, ugly. I know you guys are just starting on spring right now. So you're like, yeah, rub it in. You know, we got spring going. <laughs> okay, we're going so the other way. That's right. That's right. Sorry, Hurricane. Keep no, going. no, that was, that's it. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. So uh, these things do stress us in the world. So uh, Greece has floods today. There's a hurricane in New York. We have bushfires here and we can get anxious about this. But what the brain likes to do is to be mindful so that we feel that we're part of a flow of something larger so that we can feel confident that we're going through this together. Okay, so look, Hurricane, I had a rather stressful day at work yesterday. 
In fact, the whole week has not been the best week. Today, I'm heading out to nature. I'm going to go out there with the person that I love to see a few things to calm us, to get back to that center of feeling that you are part of the dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and beta endorphins flow. Well, so Doc, there's something you said there. You, oh, yeah. It's been a rough week and you're doing something. You have that already in the plan and you plan to go, but you're not going along with someone you love. Uh, you know how how important is that to have someone that is that you share those those feelings with and things in the, in the event of a stressful you know time week whatever especially if you are to decompress yeah yeah so it's actually it's actually vitally important but i don't want to give the impression that everybody has to be in a good personal relationship because not everybody does sure. but you do need to have somebody around you if it's a parent if it's your children if it's friends, if it's just a couple of colleagues that you get together with on a Friday night just to de-stress, we are social creatures. We want to be part of the herd because we are going through this together. In our heads, we all feel so alone because the experience of life in our heads is so lonely. But when you just talk to somebody, that's when the chemical beta endorphin really kicks in. Beta endorphin gets shared when we laugh together when we cry together, even when we're in a football crowd together, beta endorphins is what gets released. It's what gives you the feeling of being part of the human herd. And just like zebras or giraffes, we want to be part of the herd. We want to do it together. Of course, we specialize in relationships so that people who are in relationships can keep their relationships together and equal and even make it better. But as I said, whatever people you are in relationship with, be it family, friends, or colleagues, look after those relationships. Well, thank you, Doc. And again, over time, we've talked about a lot of things. And, and one of the key elements that always keeps coming back is those types of relationships and how it's important to have your entourage and, and really leverage that social you know, piece, which yeah. you know, really has a, a tremendous effect on your, your mental health and or your physical health as well, too. Uh, so, so thank you, Doctor. Well, just just a reminder to people watching and listening right now. I mean, we are live, and uh, certainly the show will replay, of course. Uh, but, but you know, please chime in if you have any questions. You can put them in the comment field, or you can dial in the number that's on your screen. And you know, we'll be more than happy to have Doctor respond and answer in real time with you. Uh, that being said, uh, Doctor, I want to before we get into today's really episode is about you know we're doing the second part of chat gpt versus you doc <laughs> and we have a, lot, a bunch of questions you probably will have to do a part three because i mean those questions are awesome and i think yeah. you know a human can ask them but we have that so i have one question that is that is going to be funny and maybe interesting i don't know but i did ask the same question to someone who was a writer um and and their feeling about how ai effect will affect you know the world of of writers and authors uh, yes. because ai can actually write books i mean right now there's yeah. ai that can do movies and do you know you know stuff like that so doctor i know ai is intelligent enough to learn things quick and there's a yes. lot of information on psychiatry psychology yes is there any point where psychiatrists and psychologists can be obsolete you know in in the face of the threat of ai if it is even a threat uh, a threat. Okay, so, so I, I don't see AI as a threat hurricane. It's a tool. Okay. And uh, and the question is, how are we going to use that tool? Will we use it for good or will we use it for personal gain? And dare I say it, evil? Because as I've said before, there's something about the human heart that has a line in between good and evil drawn right through it. So that's our choice. And it's all of our individual choice as well. And okay, Hurricane, a week and a half ago, I was at a lecture talking about how artificial intelligence is going to be used to help clinically diagnose people. And the way AI is going to do that is they're going to hear all of their words and all of their sentences, analyze their sentences, and then come up with a word to describe their mental state. Now, AI can do that, and that will be useful, but only to a limited extent. Because you see, I've never come across an AI computer that has an anterior cingulate gyrus, right? Now, in our anterior cingulate gyrus, that's where we generate empathy. That's where we generate that feeling of being together with another human being. And right now, you see your head's just nodding a little bit. That's because your anterior cingulate gyrus sort of says, hey, 
I like what this guy is saying. I sort of feel together with him just on that point. And that makes you feel good and that makes me feel good. And we can do that. And all these little interactions that we have as human beings are very important. So when I diagnose somebody or work with somebody uh, in accident emergency, those little, thing goes, uh, little things go on. They either feel more trusting in my presence, okay, or they feel a bit alienated. And that is something that a human being can do that an AI will never be able to do. So do I think that AI will be able to replace um, uh, uh, psychiatrists and psychologists? The answer is no, but I don't think that AI can replace writers either because once you get to know a writer, it's not just the book and the story that they're writing. You feel that you're kind of in relationship with the person who wrote this as well. Well, thank you, Doc. And by the way, the response was very similar, you know, when I asked that question, and this person is a terrific writer and author. And he said that, you know, uh, he would, it's never going to be there because the personal touch is never yeah. going to be the same. Right. And you're right, that feel like you, when you read something, you can, you can literally feel that, that person behind, you know, the yeah. writing skills and stuff. And I, you know, the reason I asked this question, because uh, there was a study that I, that I was talking to someone and, and they shared with me that uh, one of the, the industries or the areas that people are fearing is that, for example, in the medicine space, you know, someone can literally just put all their, you know, their symptoms and things like that. And AI, because they, it knows all, basically all the, the words, all the, the concepts, yeah. all the, the diagnoses and the prognoses that have ever been written, it can actually give, you know, a treatment. It can give things which basically will probably have more less people rely on human factor and, and just kind of relate just on or rely only on the actual AI concept. Right. So that was, that was the reason I, I, I started asking this question because like every industry is different, but, but certainly, I mean, if it is intelligent enough to, to really gather all the information and stuff, but I love what you said, it's really the idea that yes, it'll give you, it will do most of the work. And now you add your personal touch, your actual empathy and everything else that's going to shift that and that personal touch because people seek help because they need someone to talk to and things. AI is not going to talk to you the same way. Maybe, I don't know, as an avatar or some some yeah. you know robotic you know format, but that may be a hundred years plus later. But either way, you know, I still I agree with you, Doctor. I don't think it's gonna change. Listen, it's not gonna be you or me, right? I mean there's no way for it to be Hurricane or Doctor Han. Because we're just characters on our own that are different. <laughs> it's not going to okay. relate to us. It could be a mimic, it can be a you know something else, but it's not us. And yeah, that's really yeah, a signature. Yeah, in fact, I've, I've got to speak to that because we do have evidence on that because we like to think that it is, let's say, a pill that makes us better or a psychological technique that makes us better. But uh, evidence shows us that if you use the pill or the technique without somebody who takes responsibility for it, then it actually doesn't work as well. So let's take AI. You can type in all your symptoms and in psychiatry, in fact, in all of medicine, uh, an AI computer can give you a diagnosis and then say, here are your options for management. And then you could sort of go and get a pill and, uh, and use it. But you see, what happens during all of that is you need an expert who is a human being to hold the responsibility. And the whole of the way that, um, let's say, a placebo response works in us is by having belief in a person who is an expert who is actually giving you the pill that is then responsible. So you can go back and say, I am now better. And this is what's absolutely unique to psychiatry and psychology. You are in relationship with a person who is taking responsibility at that time. And it is the relationship that heals. And there I'm quoting an existential uh, psychotherapist by the name of Irvin Yalom, uh, who knows that it takes that human touch to actually find meaning in our lives and in our mental illnesses. Well, thank you, doctor. And, you know, uh, I, I do agree, you know, that there is something about that human touch and you mentioned placebo effect. I mean, that's, that's yeah. as you know, that, that stuff is real and it, and it can make a big difference in somebody's, you know, prognosis and treatment. And, you know, it's just, just that it's, it's amazing what the mind does, but, but really with the support system, you know, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Just, and you see, we talk about the placebo as though it's something that doesn't exist, 
But the placebo effect is very real. We just don't quite understand what it is. And the placebo effect has to do with faith, belief, and an interaction with another human being that is actually got a mind that is transmitting things to your mind through their anterior cingulate gyrus in the brain to say, I am going through this journey with you. And what happens, it's, it's like a mountain climber hurricane. If you're climbing a mountain by yourself, and you break a leg when you're 3,000 meters up, okay, you're going to die, all right? But if there's even just one person there with you, you're going to get through it. And that idea of taking a journey, even a dangerous journey together, is what not only makes us safe, but gives our life meaning. Well, thank you. By the way, you know, doctor, I it's funny you mentioned the placebo effect, but we we don't use it in a lot of areas, but really we refer to it, uh, in, yes. you know, from an, as an implied concept, which is yeah. when when you hear motivation and inspiration, and, and yes. people say, if you believe in something, it manifests, and don't, that's really what it's it's really that, but but not in the medicinal version of yes. it. It's more on on the mindset, and it works yes. because if if you believe in something so bad and you keep saying it, your subconscious everything works towards manifesting those things, and it is real. Again, to your point. Not very well understandable, maybe, but it's anyone with faith will know that it happens. And that's why people believe in the unknown and they they really firmly believe in it and they accept it and and, and things manifest for them. So it's 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 energy. I mean, that, that's the other realm. I mean, we can talk quantum again yes. and we go we go deep there, but but it's 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 amazing how we function. And and you know, doctor, I mean I first of all, in the last three years I've I've you know, we've had these sessions, I've learned quite a bit from you and and I apply some of those things, you know, like I said, all the time. I enjoy them. So, so, doctor, uh, there is one thing before we get into the chat GBT versus you, the, the wrestling here <laughs> match. You know, the um, uh, I want to talk about tragedy and trauma um, in light of, of natural disasters. And the reason I, I, I yeah. say that is recently, as you know, yeah. uh, you know, uh, we had the earthquake in Morocco. There was one yeah. in Turkey, you know, in the beginning of the year. Yeah. Uh, there was also the floods in Libya. And there's there's things like you said, there's hurricanes yeah. all over the place, you know, so there's tragedy happening every time and disasters yeah. are happening. Uh, what can we tell people that have experienced that or, or being part, like uh, witness some of that stuff that is happening? Cause it's one thing to see on TV and, yeah. and, you know, in the news and one thing to be in location, you know, on location rather and seeing, you know, this, this horrific stuff. I mean, it's gotta have a deep impact on people's minds and, and psyche and ultimately they can i mean that's what ptsd is i mean i think essentially uh it, it goes with you so what can we say to people at least now that that whether those are in morocco or libya or anywhere in the world that have experienced something or to you know to just be aware of what to do if god forbid something like that happened like today these flies that are happening i'm sure there's people that have been affected and it can be bad you know so yeah yeah okay so I'm going to talk about the earthquakes first hurricane because sure. there was an earthquake in, in your home country, right? Yes. And what happens when that happens is sort of hits you in the heart, okay? That some of my people have died, all right? That these are not just people out there that are just abstract people, but they mean something to me. And the thing is that in tragedy, um, people start to mean a whole lot more to each other because, okay, so New York City is going through um, tragic situations at the moment. Uh, we were in a city that was undergoing a flood in which a lot of people died, all right? And the amazing thing is it brings out something very human in each of us. Uh, it brings out the idea that if you go through something together, like floods or bushfires or earthquakes, then it's a shared experience. And there is no way I want to say, Hurricane, that this is a good experience because it is not. But it brings out something good in the human spirit that in the end, we do feel that we can be closer to the people who are close to us physically, which is why when, let's say, New York City um, went through the Twin Towers tragedy, okay, mm -hmm. the identity of New York City grew. Uh, people who were there they came together and felt that even though there are a lot of diverse people in new york city there was something that we were going through as new yorkers that belonged to us it was our experience and so something can grow out of that and i'm sorry to labor the brain but 
what we do is we go for positive experiences and good experiences and enjoyable experiences, but the brain actually grows through positive experiences and negative experiences because the brain can learn, develop and grow, doesn't matter what experiences you have. And so let's say you have somebody close to you that is going to die or is about to die and you feel a lot of grief and pain. The strange thing about that is that that grief and pain is actually born from love. It's because you care about that person that you are now going to have a grief reaction because of losing that person. So it actually underlies the whole idea that we're together, going through life together. Well, thank you, Doc. And uh, by the way, you hit on nail there. I mean, it's 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 uh, we've seen it. I mean, we've seen on you know, footage and, and and the media and stuff. You know how people got together. We've seen that you know in in the nine eleven you know tragedy. We've seen it in Sandy, for example, in a couple of years back. You know, as as yeah. a, we've seen it in a lot of Katrina, all the hurricanes, different earthquakes in Japan, in, in in Turkey. I mean, all around the world. I mean, we've seen it over and over. And you're right. That sense of unity happens out of tragedy and people kind of work yeah. with each other to to support each other uh physically financially and mentally uh to get there but there is there's nevertheless there's going to be an impact on some specific folks that will that will linger longer once this whole thing gets settled because i mean i think you have that shock in the moment everybody's energy yes. adrenaline is going but once it dissipates then you have those those I guess reflections on the events and and and, and it becomes for in certain individuals very difficult to manage. Uh, yes. So I guess so I guess there's got there is probably a need to to maybe because some people may not have the ability to access mental health the way we have it for example in in some of the like in Morocco, mental health is not as 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 perceived the same way as it is in the West and, and I'm not saying it's not doesn't exist. Exactly they right. do have they do have doctors yeah. they do have but it's not at the same level or the same accessibility that we have for example in, in the us or australia or in europe so it is different and some of these folks may, and there's also that we talked about the culture part and the religious taboos and things like that where you know people tend not to see i mean it's a it's a it's something from god and it's acceptable and it's yeah. it's it's fate and by the way it is what it is we do believe in that i mean that's just part of our beliefs is that yeah. when something happens it it happens it's ordained we accept it for what it's worth we believe there's a good in it somehow and you know some people are like well, what kind of mumbo jumbo are you talking about but that's what fate is about and you know and it's really real and it makes people stronger in a way but yeah. but 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 nevertheless there is some people are not as strong in their fate and maybe they need some additional assistance through the modern version of things uh, okay. so, so yeah yeah so, so, sorry hurricane I, I want to speak to that because um i said that the brain can learn through positive and negative but i want to translate that into practical things that you can do going through a tragedy or trauma uh, or an acute situation like this. And this is what I tell people who have gone through that because I have worked with a lot of people who have PTSD, including because of um, events like this. So if you've gone through some of that, the natural thing to do is to seek out other people, to be with other people, to hold somebody close, to have a cup of tea with somebody, to huddle under a blanket together. And so after things like this happen, I tell people, or let's say, let's say you've just watched it on television and you get shocked. What do you do? You actually hug your children just a little bit harder. You tell them that you love them a little bit more. You tuck them in at night and spend a bit more time with them. And you do this with all the people that you love. You value the people around you just that little bit more and that is the brain learning from a negative experience and what you learn is if there can be a earthquake in morocco where people can lose entire families quickly then you are valuable to me and i am going to value a whole lot more i'm going to say that to you i'm going to um, act as though i love you because i do and i'm going to hold you a little bit closer now I've got to take you to a bit of evidence that we have because we in the West think that after you um, witness trauma or go through something like an earthquake, that you need to go see a counselor. And it's actually not the case. Okay, so we did a study in a place called Newcastle in Australia. In 1989, there was an earthquake there and people had PTSD. And what we did was we got a group of people that got counseling and trauma therapy, 
And we got a group of people that had nothing except they were monitored every now and again to see how they were going. Now, the people who had the uh, counseling and the trauma uh, said they were very, very thankful for that. It felt very, very good. Okay. The only trouble is it took them twice as long to get better from their PTSD than the people who didn't have that. And that's bizarre. But what it means is it doesn't imprint on the brain that this was something bad. This is something that will cause mental illness. The people that just spend time with their families, that spend time just having cups of tea, just talking and chilling together as people, they got better quickly. And so you talk about a place like Morocco having a different um, attitude to mental illness. Well, in a way, their attitude is better because you know what they do? They just get together and support each other. They will hug each other. They will pray for each other. They will help each other out. They will have more meals together. If somebody's crying, somebody will just comfort them. And that is what's really good to, uh, for mental health. And I know this sounds bizarre, but we've got the studies to show it. <laughs> Doctor, you know, I, I thank you. And, and it's funny, I'm, I'm, I'm smearing it here because, you know, we hear that expression, you need a hug, let's give you a hug. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's real. <laughs> it actually, it's a fact, you know, of, 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 of science that has been, you know, determined and, and, and you know, ultimately, you know, proven. Uh, yeah, so, so hey, listen, if anybody needs a hug, find someone, get a hug, right, Doc? Is that, oh, is that yeah, good you get a hug. Yeah, you bet. And give hugs, too. <laughs> I know you oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Hurricane, you give great hugs, okay? <laughs> Love it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I do, <Yeah>. I do. <laughs> so just to summarize, we have evidence to show that spending time with people that you love and having hugs and sharing loving inf uh, interactions is much better than getting help from a mental health professional, all right? And that's that's a big statement coming from a psychiatrist. I, I know I was gonna say that like that. You know what do you say that? I mean, but but you know what? That shows. I mean, your level of of understanding. You know the the world that you're in. I mean, yeah, you yeah. Know, if it's gonna help people, it's gonna help people, and that's the message right. at the end of the day. That's it. I mean, you're available as a resource. You have. Oh yeah. You know that's your exactly tricks. Right. You, know, you know, and but but if people can, and and I know that since day one, you've always said, you know, if people can manage things, you know. You don't pursue drugs and other things. You help have them try to help themselves to other yes. means. Obviously, ultimately, if not, there's this other, I guess, things that you can do and uh, interactions that you can have with them, including you know prescriptions and things like that to to assist. But that's your last resort versus your primary, you know, uh, go to. You know, and which is oh, which oh, is oh. awesome. Oh, that's right. That's right. Having a hug is not going to cure your schizophrenia. Okay. That does need going to a psychiatrist. If you're suicidal, uh, having a hug is not enough. If you've got a bipolar disorder, then you need to see somebody like me. There is a place for somebody like me, but there is more of a place for loving families, loving friends, and loving interactions with strangers. That's what the science is showing, Hurricane. Uh, listen, I will take it from you without any question. <laughs> I, I I know this is your world and, and you understand it better than most. And, you know, it is what it is. I mean, and, and again, listen, I, I am thankful to have you actually in my world. And, and certainly uh, you're I've always said this live, you know, you have dedicated, you know, this particular hour once a month to share this wisdom with, with the world. And people are actually, you know, getting this, this advice through downloads and plays and views and things like that. And so there are people that are literally benefit from this. We would like to see more interactions, of course. And folks, always remember, this is your show. This is not about us. It's really for you. And to interact, you know, and get some of these. these uh, obviously, we've covered a lot of questions. Maybe your questions have been answered because we did have a lot of them and we're still going to have some more. But, you know, there's always new things and there's always... Uh, a spin on, on, on a question or a situation. So, um, so doc, I think it's time for us to get to that first question from uh, your, your, uh, you know, AI, uh, opponent right now. <laughs> so I'm going to put it on the screen for you. Okay, here we go. I guess this relates to what I said, but that was specifically to AI, but this yeah. is more for, for just the general stuff. So how do you envision the future of mental health care considering investments in research, technology, and social attitudes? Ooh, I mean, societal attitude. By the way, this is chat GPTS in the question. So that's, okay. the question. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. It, it, that's a really good question. Uh, so at the moment, we're talking a lot about AI because it happens to be the flavor of this particular year. But there are a number of advancements in mental health care 
uh, that means that the future of mental health care is actually going to look really different. So the first advancement is AI. It's giving us access to uh, information and studies really, really quickly, and that is going to be part of it. Another advancement that has been uh, looming uh, for the last 20 years is brain imaging. We're getting to know so much more about the brain and how it works and what neuroplasticity means. So in other words, how the brain changes and what we can do to influence that in a positive way. So in a way, psychiatry is going to become more biological that way as we get to know the brain more and know what we can do to help the brain. However, we are also learning a lot about what talking therapies do and what the interaction between one human being and another human being is. And as you know, Hurricane, that's that's part of the relationship work that I like to do. And so that's actually going to become more important. And that's actually going to become more important in the field of preventative mental health. Because one thing that we're finally realizing is that if the mental health rights are rising, there's more depression, there's more anxiety, there's more bipolar illness, there are more eating disorders and there are more addictions, then we've got to find ways of stopping people getting those diagnoses rather than treating everybody there. So that's going to be part of the mental health care effort so that people don't have mental illnesses in the first place. And I really believe, Hurricane, that in 10 or 15 years, uh, our society will have an awakening that we have left family and friends behind and we have left our human interactions behind and we have pursued wealth and we have pursued work and we have pursued um, pleasure and entertainment to the detriment of ourselves. And I think we're really going to come back to valuing each other as human beings, valuing relationships, valuing family. And family can be defined as many different ways, but it is going to be more and more important. So what does the future of mental health care look like? It's going to be this strange but wonderful blend of uh, AI, brain imaging, the importance of human interactions, and most importantly, preventative mental health. So making sure that people are living in a way that they don't get mental health problems in the first place, if that's at all possible. And that's the area that I'm in. So I'm going to talk a lot about that hurricane. Well, and we, we we welcome that. But so so that that's actually triggering a question in my brain. Now, you know me, I'm in the insurance space. And, uh, yeah. you know, insurance is all about, I guess, managing, you know, and, and keeping people healthier as, as opposed to sicker because it's yeah, a cost. Right. Let's be let's be what let's call it for what it is. You know, insurance likes people to stay healthy because it, it, it pays less <laughs> from a selfish, yeah. you know, reason. But 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 in that same note, it focuses on preventative healthcare yes. in general. Yes. But so yes. so here's a question, and this is not necessarily just for your doctor, for anybody that's listening out there and for the experts and industry and healthcare industry stuff. Why is it that we don't have we do have a physical that is annual, but we don't have a mental, you know, uh, you know, annual. Maybe that's something that needs to be incorporated in our lives today. I mean, considering everything that's happening to us day in, day out, it should be an annual checkup for your mental state. And, you know, it's not like the taboo, oh, my God, I'm seeing, uh, you know, I'm sorry to quote this, the shrink of seeing whatever, you know, like someone, you know, yeah. like a, a psychiatrist, oh, my God. You know, this is like, you know, I need to see, like, how, how well I'm doing. And, you know, I maintain that. If we were to implement something like that, that can change the dynamics. You're talking about preventive and being ahead of the game. You know, that's what we do. We go do the physical so we're with early detection, prevention, everything. You can see things in advance. If there is a trend, there's something happening, you can literally take care of it before it gets worse. Similarly, yes. if you have some traits of, of mental illness that is building up or you have some, I don't know, stress, depression, whatever is building up, that could lead to serious problems in the future. Why can we add that? So again, if we're out there, I mean, something to champion maybe in the insurance space, in the healthcare and become, you know, and maybe more psychologists and psychiatrists can become part of that front and, you know, really add that to that annual checkup. Like you do, we do the same thing. You go, you go to your, your routine, you know, oral hygiene and oral health, you know, you have to do that every six months, whatever. We do it for eyesight. You know, a lot of people do the annual checkups for the eyesight. I mean, mental health is just as important, if not more important than everything else, because if this goes, everything else is not going to work properly. 
I mean, again, this is just me. So, doctor, what do you think of that? Okay, that's a very good comment because uh, what you're saying is is very right that mental health is important as dental health or any other sort of health. But one place where there is change is actually in the workplace. Uh, when I have, let's say, uh, yearly uh, talks with um, people who uh, work in my organization under me, we've actually got a few questions now written into that that says, how is your mental health? How is your work-life balance? Are you taking care of yourself? And at this stage, it's only to make sure that the conversation is had, but we are seeing that mental health is very important. So if we start having these conversations, and in Australia, we have this thing called, are you okay? To make sure that people talk about their mental health with their colleagues, uh, because there has been a lot of stigma around it, around mental health. There's a lot less now because, unfortunately, because so many people suffer from mental health problems, that people talk about it more. But the more that we talk about it, the more that we can encourage each other to get through this life together, the more that we are actually working in this space of preventative mental health. And you being in insurance, you know how important that actually is, Hurricane. Oh, I, I can tell you it's one of the areas that sometimes from a, a cost aspect of it, it is costly. I and mean, beha- behavioral health is, you know, sometimes not covered 100%. There's certain things. It, it, it can be also very extremely, you know, expensive for yeah. the, the patients, for the insurer. And, and, you know, so it's, 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 and the other thing, you want to do this where it's outside of the clinic. You don't have to go and admit people, you know, uh, into the facilities now. Probably facility is not going to be happy about what I'm saying because it's good to have, you know, patients, you know, in place. You know, I mean, obviously some people that own these, these facilities, obviously that's business for them. But but the those need to be like, you know, when, like in the time of COVID, we live, you know, the actual beds to the people that need it the most. Same yeah. concept. If someone is really advanced and they need to be in, in an institution, that's a different story. But if we can prevent people from even getting there, you know, and, yeah. and again, we've we've touched on the subject of suicide. You can't potentially, if someone is going to a doctor annually and there's an evaluation, there's a tracking, you, there's a good chance that you will r- reveal a potential, you know, a yeah. tendency that can lead to something of that nature that, that we don't have today. And, and by the way, it doesn't matter what part of the world it is, whoever is willing to take this initiative and get it started probably will be ahead of the game in, in this particular battle against, you know, mental health and mental, yeah. you know, you know yeah. behavior. So, yes. And this harks right back to the AI question that you gave me a few minutes ago about uh, the future of mental health. This is what we call preventative mental health, uh, making sure that people uh, are seen and uh, that we have things in place for people to make sure that they don't have mental health issues. And what the evidence shows us that we actually need each other. We need good interactions with each other. We need to foster our relationships so that we have a healthy flow of dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and beta endorphins so that we can prevent mental health problems. However, there are some mental health problems that will always need the help of psychologists and psychiatrists. Well, thank you, doctor. And, and, uh, you know, there, there's just one thing that we've covered over and over, and I don't think it's going to go away. Uh, the, the environment, the financial aspect of things, uh, businesses, all these things have yeah. a direct impact on the mental health. I mean, it has on the physical, but certainly I believe it has more of a mental than a physical stuff. People get tired, yeah. but they're because they're depressed or they're stressed more than actually because they're physically tired. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, so, so, we just need to do more of this work and hopefully we'll get more people into the, the top shape and certainly using the different tools and, you know, like going out in nature, doing things, the breathing techniques, all the stuff and seeing a particular psychiatrist or psychologist to help, you know, uh, early on. I, I really think, I mean, we do all those checkups, just add one more. I mean, you know, uh, you will save in the long run. I mean, whether we're in insurance space or whoever it is, I think it's going to be better, you know, for, for people, but that's just my opinion. Oh, no, no, definitely. Definitely. Great idea. All right. Well, thank you, doctor. So now um, we going to go to our second question. So I'm going to put it up on the screen. There we go. If someone is considering seeking help for their mental health, what advice would you give them? What steps can listeners take if they're unsure about the type of professional help they need? 
Okay, okay, that's that's another great question, and uh, and really the easiest thing to do is to ask yourself: Well, if you're considering seeking help for a pain that you have in your chest, what would you do? Right uh, now, the thing is that if the pain is worrying you, then you want to find out what it is. And so sometimes that means going to accident and emergency. Sometimes that means going to a doctor. Sometimes it means seeing somebody else, but it's a pain. And once you know what it is, then you know whether something needs to be done about it or not. It's the same with mental health. Depression or anxiety are really just specific types of pain. And so you want to find out what that pain is. You want to go to some sort of an expert that has seen that type of pain to see whether this is a pain that you've got to do something about or if it's a pain that will um, take care of itself or if there's something that you can do to lessen that pain. And so somehow you need to see an expert. Now, in Australia, uh, we have actually a great system in that the first person that you see will be a a GP, a general physician, or a family doctor who will decide what level that pain of yours is on and decide where you need to go with that, if anywhere. So in the States, the, the same thing exists. You go to see a doctor, and uh, we've talked about this before, the thing that stops people from seeing a doctor about their mental health is trust. Uh, will I trust what a doctor tells me? And because there's so many things that are on the internet about how uh, diagnoses are wrong or this diagnosis is, isn't right or, or whatever. So it erodes trust. But it's very difficult to get through life without trusting somebody somewhere. So I would suggest to people that they find a mental health professional that they trust. How do you know if you're going to trust them? You meet them. And then you build up a relationship and you go with them and you can actually ask, can I trust you? And the person will be hit on a very human level and say, well, yeah, you can. I'm giving you the best advice that I have, all right? And if you feel that trust build up, then you're already on a journey that can help your mental health. Well, thank you, Doc. Well, I think most of psychiatrists and psychologists, just like, you know, well, maybe, I, I don't know. I mean, I know for primary care doctor or GPs, typically, I mean, you do, you don't have a consultation. I mean, you, you just do a visit. Now, is there a practice where there is a consultation just to, to, to kind of get to know each other first before you even like, like, you know, and same thing, like with a lawyer concept, right? You meet with them, you have a discussion. I don't know if that's, that's something that, that is real yeah. or not. I'm asking the question because yeah. maybe that can change the dynamic. If you are able to talk to someone and, and get to gauge them, is this going to be, you know, a good, you know, uh, I guess, uh, match for me. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah. uh, just, just a question that came up. No, that, that's actually a very good question. But the, the thing is that there's so much of a need for people to, um, to be seen by doctors. And there is a worldwide doctor's shortage and good grief, a worldwide psychiatrist shortage, that there's never going to be enough. So that idea of um, seeing if you fit in with somebody before you actually start working with them, um, we don't yeah. have the resources for that. So sometimes you've actually got to trust that this person has done a medical degree, that this person has seen thousands of people and that other people have trusted this person. And the thing is that, uh, Hurricane, we live in a world of social media where you can get a lot of information yourself, but you don't know if you can trust that information. And by the process of getting the information yourself, you start to trust the information that you get on the internet rather than trusting a person. And the thing is that if you are in pain, so depression, anxiety, or addictions, and you want that pain gone, then somewhere along the line, you're going to have to trust somebody. And healthcare professionals can be trusted. I mean, I, I gotta say, you don't go into the healthcare profession for money. You don't spend years and even decades studying, okay? For lifestyle issues, generally speaking, what I find is that people go into healthcare because they have a heart for other people. And in brain terms, that means they've got an anterior cingulate uh, gyrus that is making too much empathy. So they want to share it with others. They do actually want to help you. And so if you can go in with that assumption, okay, then 
more often than not, 99% of the time, that expectation will be fulfilled. Are there unscrupulous mental health professionals? Yeah, of course there are, because humans, unfortunately, have that ability. But um, just like a relationship, you've got to trust sometime. You've got to take a plunge. You may get hurt. But you know what? 99% of the time, you won't. They're there to help you. Well, thank you, Doc. But 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 we do live, as you said, in a world that there is some 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 gain, you know, to be made and financial gain, you know, period. Yeah. And there are people that, you know, I mean, I think I think there there is a sentiment, at least I know in the states it is happening, that the medicine, all the healthcare, has been more capitalized and 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 really became more of a financial institution rather than the mission of caring and health. Now. That, that's a big statement, but there is a sentiment that, you know, for example, a good, good example is throughout COVID, for example, in the pandemic, you know, there's a lot of talk out there about this is all about the money. It's about, you know, generating revenue, you know, the pharma, this, that, the other, you know, uh, there was a lot of talk about, you know, the utilization of, of um, uh, intubation and all the stuff, you know, and, and those ventilators in, in the hospital because there's pay. So it became, there is, there's a lot of, I guess blurry stuff and fog around it because of the financial piece. And I think we need to maybe doctors can do a lot more to present that we are not that we really care. Now, by the way, on the same token, there's a whole bunch of doctors out there during the pandemic, pre-pandemic, during and post that are still out there making, giving the message that we're here to care and we want you to see the real thing and not, you know, this is not about money. It's about really your care and what works and what doesn't, what you should do about it. It's it's along the line that we just said, doctor. There are great doctors. There's a lot of folks out there that are believing. They're in it. They're in it for the mission. Yes, the money comes, but I mean, to be honest with you, we've talked about this in a different show. You know, it takes a lot of money to become a doctor. You know, and there's a lot of stuff that goes behind. And certainly, you want to get paid back. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. But as long as the core mission is never, you know, diluted and and kind of veered off, you know, and it's still the actual lead of your, you know practice then then everything else is good i think so so that's a sentiment that's that can change and i think the trust vector plays there but you're right like people yeah. can follow people today they can they yeah. can see your your track you can see things they can google you or they can search you there's so many things although there's some credentialing you can search someone's you know practices and things like that i, that, I can tell you i'm an insurance space we investigate these things you know and we've come we've seen a lot of doctors that do the wrong stuff and you know they get penalized we've seen pharmacists that do bad yeah. things and they get penalized i mean there's fraud you know between in the patient space and the healthcare space and that yeah. know, that's why we have fraud waste and abuse you know controls and, and and government agencies that monitor but but it's for the general public it is risky because you don't know who to trust sometimes you don't know if i'm yeah. just getting the pills because i'm getting you know the, the pills are paying me or you know and, and there's a lot of talk about that in general especially when it comes to prescription drugs and things it's difficult, and in the mental health is is equal. But I love what you said that you got to leap forward. You know, you have to have that that leap of faith, and and you have to trust. And ninety nine percent of the time, you will not be disappointed. And and that's important to highlight, Doc. Thank you. Uh no, that's all right, Hurricane. But let's let's go to the space that you're talking about because uh -oh. <laughs> well, you're in a country that that monetizes uh, basically more than any other country, and uh, there are. There are other countries that have, let's say, a more socialist healthcare system. And I'm thinking about the United Kingdom, where they have uh, the national healthcare, the, the NHS, the National Health Service, where it's uh, very strictly regulated and there's not as much choice of doctors and there's less monetizing. But the thing is that you know that when you're seeing somebody that they're not trying to make money out of you. And the risk in monetizing as much as the USA does is that there's always this sense that, is this person just wanting to make money out of me? And so we've got to get into a very big political space to talk about that. And uh, this is one of the downfalls, if you like, of a capitalist system. There are a lot of advantages, but we are here in a situation where that means that people can be taken care of. And there are big pharmaceutical companies that have been um, uh, given huge fines for actually um, uh, misrepresenting what they're actually doing. And that erodes trust. And so we come back down to trust. And that is a real pity. But um, and on a societal level, 
we need to find some way to keep people accountable. And this is why I'm actually more comfortable in a country uh, that does have some sort of a um, uh, national health service so that everybody is covered at a basic level. Now, I know that that's, that was a controversy a couple of years ago in the USA. And in Australia, we have a system that is two-tiered, that if you want something extra, then you can pay for that and get sort of a, a healthcare system that is more private rather than public. But everybody in Australia will get a basic rate of healthcare to make sure that they're actually taken care of. And I think that's actually a good uh, solution. However, uh, all society things on the side, as an individual, you need to find somebody who you can trust. So it comes down to recommendations. It actually comes down to uh, asking somebody, uh, are you here just to make money out of me? All right. And then <laughs> I, I doubt they're going to answer, but but maybe, but you're right. I mean, you can read them if they're honest and, and, and really genuine or not. Well, you do, because it, it, it has to do with building up trust. Okay. Uh, so uh, if you trust somebody who has seen somebody good, then you go to see them. The, the only bad outcome is not trusting anybody because then you end up alone and in depression or anxiety or addiction, if you're alone without any help, without anybody that you trust, then you will actually end up on a pathway that is much worse than finding somebody who at least will give you the expertise to move out of that, even if they're not a trustworthy person. Even if somebody's not trustworthy, they will still give you the information to help you. And I and I'm I got to say I'm sorry that we're having this conversation because uh, healthcare uh, is something that uh, I value as almost like a vocation. It's almost like you're called upon to help people. That's what we do. If if you want to make uh, money first, then then you go to the stock market, all right? Uh, <laughs> I get rewarded, and I get rewarded well for what I do, but my primary objective is to help people because that's actually where the best rewards are, Hurricane. And, and, and that that is that should be. By the way, I agree with you in, in the system where there should be a baseline of everybody getting basic health, and then... You can upgrade. I mean, you can get your basic physicals. You can That's get right. all this stuff. And then if you want to do something extra, I mean, you can pay all you want. That's up to you, which I think Canada has a similar system too. Uh, yes. But you're right in the U.S. And I can tell you a true story. This is my own personal experience. So when my my daughter, you know, my wife was pregnant with my, my, my daughter, um, she she was recommended an OBGYN doctor. And as um, uh, soon as he saw her the first time, oh, you're getting a C-section. And luckily i had a friend she 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 passed you know but but she was an advocate and, and social worker and she said do not go to that doctor because every single pregnancy with him is a c-section because at the time this was like you know eight, 18 years ago it was literally six thousand dollars per surgery as opposed yeah. to a, a regular delivery which was like less a couple of thousand dollars so it was motivated by money not by the care so it didn't matter whether you could have a baby normally or not that doctor would still do this. And by the way, this is uh, just for our audiences. Be careful out there. You need to know and find solutions. If someone tells you this is the only way, find if there's another way because, you know, you might just get stuck with that concept and that's it. So do your research. Like, to your point is finding the trust. And you're right. There are doctors that are doing this for the right reasons and it's not so, so much. And the money is going to come there. If you do the right job and you're good, people will actually come to you no matter what. Yeah. And that's it. But some people like this, when they do that, they're just going to lose business. Eventually, people are going to know about them and no one's going to go to them. And, th and that's kind of like the reputation yeah. that this particular doctor built up. And yet, and by the way, she did deliver normal without any problems. <laughs> so yeah. so, so yeah. essentially, if we had you know, gone to him, you know, she would have just had a C-section for nothing, which is higher risk surgery, this, you know, under the gun, anesthesia, I mean, under the, the knife, anesthesia, all the stuff. Not good for you if you don't have to go through it. So uh, again... Yeah. Uh, just on point, doctor, you know, when it comes to that. No, no, that's, no, that's all right. And Hurricane, i got to say, it, it grieves me that there are stories like that and that there are a lot of stories like that. But um, we have to have our eyes open and I have to be realistic about this, okay? I'm, I, uh, not every doctor out there is a saint. But going back to the first question, how is this uh, going to be part of the future of uh, mental health care or of the future of all health care? It comes down to we are in a society that is grappling with ideas as to where we should be 
politically even. And so the thing is that the profit motive is a good incentive for getting things done. But how do we use that while de-incentivizing ways of um, lining your own pockets rather than actually helping there? Because the, uh, the fundamental thing about uh, capitalism is that you get rewarded for service. And the thing is that if we keep that focus on service and find ways of, uh, of incentivizing good service to people, then you'll be using the system to its good end rather than its evil end. Because unfortunately, the spectrum exists no matter what political system you're under. Well, it is. And by the way, I, I love that because to your point, if, you know, and by the way, th there is in our world, at least in the insurance space, because we're the payers, uh, we yes. are actually in a concept now, we, we have value-based uh, value kind of concepts where you actually work with doctors' agreements whereby the more the care is delivered properly, the more you know yeah. the, the folks are healthier, the more they get compensated because they maintain their health in the proper shape as opposed to just like, you know, go through the mill and just that. So that is, that's one of the new, it's not new, it's been around, you know, but it's becoming more relevant, at least in the States, uh, you know, with what we refer to as managed care, it is happening. Now, is it in the commercial space? I'm not sure. I mean, because I don't, you know, live in that space, but at least in the government programs, it is happening. So there's a trend towards that. And I'm sure it's going to get better because it's a way to control the care, to control the cost, and also provide higher, you know, uh, care to to the patients and to the, you know, I guess for the plans of the members. So it is it is happening, and you know, it's it's just gonna, you know, get slowly but surely. So there is uh, uh, the light at the end of the tunnel, as they say. <laughs> there is, there is. All right. Well, listen, Doc. I mean, we just hit the the hour mark. I know you you have a, a date uh, in nature. <laughs> that nature gonna, <laughs> We're going to get gonna, it on tonight, yes. That's right, baby. That's right. And listen, you know, you got to have it, you know, and it's it's beautiful. Uh, you know, again, I, for those that are just new to the show, I mean, Dr. Heim and Dr. Kalein, who's, who's behind the scenes right now, you know, we had a terrific show. They had actually, a, they, they they have a book that they, it's about resilient relationship. So they really have a great relationship, <laughs> you know, that, you know, so they practice what they preach, you know, out there. Um, but, but yeah, so doctor, thank you so much for, I mean, we've barely scratched the, the questions. I mean, I have like yeah. tons of them still left. So we'll, we'll keep bringing those questions up, you know, and, and I, I believe that, you know, do you, you're pleased with those uh, questions and they really hit on, you know, uh, some topics that are very, uh, I guess, vital, you know, to the discussion of mental health. So we will bring, you know, the additional questions next time. And we have a whole list that's actually on our comments right now. And I have a whole bunch of other ones. So we'll, you know, that are mixed between G uh, GPT and, and humans. <laughs> that's funny, humans and GPT. That's cool. Um, but yeah, so that's it. So folks, uh, you know, uh, by the way, any last words, you know, uh, for today's episode before we close the show? Uh, well, uh, the only thing that I want to say is to, to overcome the trust problems that we have in our society because they're there in every society. We've got to value the people close to us. Uh, and the more trust we have in them, then we've got a secure base uh, to explore a world where trust becomes a bit problematic. So again, it comes down to taking care of the people that are close to you. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Doctor, it's always a pleasure. I guess next time uh, it will be the end of uh, October. Now, there might be, we, you and I will have to talk about that date because I'll be in a different time zone. So okay. we might have we might have to reschedule. We might have the same time. I don't know. We we just got to figure out because I I'll be in a different zone, but uh but definitely we want to you know book that and we'll figure out the the exact time. Uh, hopefully we'll maintain the same. Let's see how it works. <laughs> but 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 yes. Yeah, so thank you so much, Doc, for as always. You know, great time. A lot of good insights today. And so folks, this is your climb to your prime uh, rendezvous that is once a month, the last Friday of the month typically. Uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard in Australia is 11 a.m. Is it 11 a.m. now or 10 for you guys? Uh, okay, so we're just going 12 now, so it's it's uh, 11 right, so, a.m. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 11, okay. Uh, so no daylight saving yet. We we will have that in March, so I think that's gonna shift things. Well, actually, it's coming up soon, so yeah, it's gonna change things. Yeah, but but you know, until then, Doctor, thank you so much, and folks, you know, thank you for being with us for watching. Uh, please do send in your comments, your questions, and, you know, would love to, you know, hear from you. And certainly, Doctor, would love to answer your questions. And honestly, you don't need to put your names. You can put yourself as the Tasmanian devil, <laughs> you know, and that's all good. So we just want to know, you know, what the questions are and so we can actually share them. 
Uh, that being said, American Age. Uh, we'll be talking soon with a new show on topic. Bye for now.